Welcome to the fourth installment of the 61st episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we left off with the conviction of the Speed Freak Killers. Listen this week as we continue our discussion on these bastards. Our show is often horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we have to warn you, sometimes we're going to make jokes and we are going to laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday. Friday morning. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening. And if you are slightly entertained by our Southern charm, leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. If not, reach out to us and let us know how we can improve. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family. How's it going, Cindy? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been getting like a tinge of an awful headache every now and then. So I've been a little bit kind of concerned about COVID. It's been kind of invading my workplace, but I don't know. There's also so much pollen and stuff in the air that it could very well just be a little allergy reaction. That's true. I've had a pretty rough headache this week, had a rough headache this week too. And I don't think it's COVID again, but I hope not. not. (laughs) You must've gotten a haircut recently. I did. Thank you. Yeah, looks good. My hair's a mess, but (laughs) I need to get it colored because my gray. I think maybe I just want to go with a wig. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So, anyway, we are going to do the fourth installment this week of the Speed Freak Killers. And I mean, you know, these guys were serial killers. Mm-hmm. they killed over a span of 14 years so Golly. there's going to be one more episode next week i couldn't squeeze it all in tonight and give it the justice that these victims deserve so i'm sorry but i'm doing it again next week yay, <laughs> yay. <I'm over> <laughs> there. oh wait you i can't wait to see what you have for us i know i need to get for that right because um you know we're going to we're going out of town this weekend Oh, yeah. Yeah. My kids wrestling. So we're actually going to stay an extra night and not come back until Sunday. So fun. Yeah. I'm going to take my deserve it. Your family deserves it. You guys going to have some fun. No, probably not. I want to go somewhere that's close by, but no one else wants to. So, so whatever. Yeah. If you have not listened to the last three installments of episode 61, you should probably go back and do that now before listening to this one, because I'm just going to jump right in. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So last week I left off with the convictions of Leslie Shermantine. He was sentenced to death row and his best friend, Lauren Herzog, was sentenced to 78 years for the murders of four people. It's Howard King and pa- Paul Cavanaugh. They were killed on the side of the road. Then we had Chevy Wheeler who went missing when she was 16. She had skipped school that day and went missing and had never been heard from again, though DNA from that crime scene, but they didn't have the technology then. They were convicted of killing Cynthia Vanderheiden, and they were not convicted of killing Robin Armtrout. She was the lady that had been stabbed 46 times, left naked on a creek bed. She never got justice. They never, or they actually never even tried to convict either one of them of that. Well, she was the first one, right? She was the same day as Joanne okay. Hobson. Yes. Okay. And there were two more before that there was uh kimberly billy who went missing before that and and i can picture this other woman's face it was a teenage girl i can't remember her name but it'll come back to me later so there was no justice for them even though herzog admitted to the rape and murder of of the the woman 
-hmm. neither man was talking about where the missing bodies were they were both convicted and imprisoned but they weren't telling where the bodies were now sherman time being the cold-blooded douchebag that he was tried to use the location of the girls for his own financial gain of course he did yeah so on march 5th 2001 he dangled this deal to the da he's like look i'll tell you where some of the bodies are for twenty thousand dollars in reward money yeah, I don't think that's how the government works. It isn't. And the DA <laughs> said, no, but you know what we will do to give these families some, you know, some peace is we'll give you life without parole, which by the way, I learned from one of Sherman Times letters that I'll get to later oh. that he was offered LWAP, which means life without parole. Oh. I, I know some jingo. Okay. LWAP. Okay. LWAP. Okay. So anyway, he said, you know, I will give you an offer. You're not getting $20,000. I'll take death off the table. You'll get life without parole. Sherman Town's like, well, hell no. And I'll answer that question as to why he doesn't take that deal later. He's like, I need the cash for my sons and I need, I need some amenities while in prison if I'm going to be able to have to live here forever. <laughs> He said, you know what? I'll up the ante though. I'll give you, I'll get, I'll give up the location of two more bodies, only two of which were convicted. So he's like, okay, I'll tell you where four bodies are. Two of them are two that I got convicted for and two of them are two more bodies. Wow. According to the source, the victim's family very much wanted Sherman Tyne to die for what he did, but they're like, you know what? We'll have a sentence commuted to LWAP if he gives it up. And of course, you know, they're like, we're not giving up. We don't want to let him extort us for money. We don't want right. to pay him. But the mothers did. I mean, they were like talking about how much they ached for their daughters. I, could, I mm. couldn't imagine. No, me either. So as if this isn't bad enough that, you know, these guys are, are playing with the heartstrings of these parents who can't put their children to rest on august 28 2004 a state appellate court threw out the murder convictions and ordered a new trial for lauren herzog remember that 17 yep. hour interrogation i told you about last yep. week well the one where he blabbed his mouth about five murders uh -huh. and that he was convicted on and sherman time was also convicted on well the sixth district court of appeals in san jose ruled that the san joaquin sheriff's used coercive tactic to get the admissions that led to two of lauren herzog's three guilty verdicts Okay, so what is, do you tell me what these supposed coercive yes. tactics are? Okay. I sure do. All right. They said that his convictions in the Kavanaugh and King killings were co coerced. Okay. The court said that the confession in the Vander Heiden sling, which took place in 1998, was not coerced. So but in the span of 17 hours, some were coerced and some weren't. Come, okay, so let me go ahead and read this and then I'll tell you what the detective said and then what, what else I read. And I didn't okay. include it in the slideshow, so I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay. All right. So the court said that Herzog was interrogated for hours while he was physically exhausted. Oh, poor baby. Poor thing. Deputies failed to feed him. Mm. they threatened him they made promises that they could not keep up to him which i thought that was i legal. thought they were allowed to do that they're allowed to lie to them they delayed his uh, arraignment for more than four days the court said that the detectives also ignored his attempts to invoke his right to remain silent hmm. san joaquin county sheriff baxter dunn said that he stands by his agency's handling of the investigation and he said that the court didn't even watch the entire videotape interview all the way herzog was blabbing he wasn't coerced according to them and he's saying they didn't watch the tape all the way they didn't see, you know they're just automatically hearing what his his attorney is saying oh well you know they held him for four days whatever right 
he's saying they didn't watch the videotape or they would have known that it was like a zen moment and he's talking ah well that seems like that would be a very important thing to watch you would think but if if one side says did he ask for his attorney and the side said yes then that's showing that they didn't give him as an attorney yeah right? whatever the case whatever san joaquin county sheriff's department says there are a lot of people who are very critical about how they handled any of the investigations on any of these missing people uh, and that is what i'm going to be talking about mostly next okay. week so i'm not okay. going to get into that too much what I will say is that Herzog's convictions were thrown out. The Kavanaugh and King convictions were thrown out and he can't be retried for those. However, he can still be retried for Cindy Vanderheiden. So they threw out those two killings and he can be retried for Vanderheiden. Why can't he be retried for the other two? I don't know. Something about it was coerced. Oh, oh, I know. Okay, this was a part I was going to tell you about that I didn't include. They were saying that, and I did read um, a brief article on this, that at some point when he's talking he's like i want to go home i want to go home and then the detectives brought in the file on the kavanaugh and king so they brought it in and they're like oh yeah these two guys they were shot on the side of the road it was kind of like they were trying to trick him into agreeing to it just so he could go oh home. okay gotcha does that make sense like there's no proof that they there's no proof it's just what he said so there's no proof at all like a you know, false he, confession he pretty much they're saying that he pretty much said what they wanted him to say because he was going to get to go home okay okay so they just threw those two out they're like no that's that was coercion you can retry them him for the vanderheiden murder but you're not allowed to use the tape the videotape they threw that out oh my word which was basically everything they had right uh -huh. all right so herzog's convictions were tossed people were pissed as you can imagine yeah, i imagine so he's in the headlines he's in the headlines people are like pissed they're like herzog's released you know he's got he's in the spotlight and guess who doesn't like that oh it's his good old buddy his good old buddy sherman time he's sitting on death row and he's like no this guy's not gonna he's getting free and i'm sitting on death row so yep. of course he's gonna stir up some shit yep he's got to be in the spotlight the spotlight needs to be on him uh -huh. so he's not gonna let herzog stay out of prison for long and he's damn sure gonna make sure that his he's not at peace in his freedom so what do you think that Sherman Tyne did? Hmm. Maybe started confessing or saying it was all Herzog or whatever his name is. And yes, he does do that. And he does it in letters. He goes on a letter writing campaign. Oh, Letters, lots of them right he wrote he wrote to reporters he wrote to the families of the victims he wrote to his own family he mm. wrote to um, assembly people and the governor oh wow he was he was serious uh, yeah in those letters he blamed herzog as you said for all the murders he's like he's the one who did it i'm the one that helped and we'll get into that later hmm. i'm the one who helped bury him just to cover the crimes but we're going to get into that later what he says in that he sent a letter to Joan Shelley. If you remember, she was Joanne Hobson's mom. Joanne was the one that went missing. She had a date. She uh -huh. was actually hanging out with them. Um, Sherman Tyner Herzog and Robin Armtrout. Uh, Robin Armtrout was found. She's the one that was found by the creek. Joanne went home and was getting ready. And remember, her date didn't show up. And then the next morning, her mom realized that she wasn't in her room. Uh -huh. Okay, so he wrote a letter to Joanne's mom. Uh -huh. She had gone missing 19 years before, never been found. And Joanne, Joan Shelley reported that in the letter, Sherman Tyne wrote and told her that Herzog was the killer. And she said that he said Herzog was the one that had a date with my daughter that night. And he killed her. 
and he knew where her body was. So he's taunting the victim's families here. Terrible. Sherman Tide also wrote a letter, letter to the Vander Heidens. And remember their daughter, Cynthia. Cindy, uh-huh. she went missing from the cemetery where they found her car. He told in his letter to the Vander Heidens, he said, I will testify against Herzog in the retrial in exchange for a deal. So I will, because we can't use the videotape confession anymore, right? It's like, I know what he did. I'll testify, but you have to, you have to do something for me. John Vanderheim, Cindy's dad told a reporter, he wanted everybody, all the victims, families to go and ask the governor to make a deal with him. And he would testify against Herzog and show where the bodies and everything were. Cindy's mom, Terry Vanderheim said, there's not a day goes by that we don't think about her, that I don't cry as I'm driving down the road. I'm still looking. And one of the moms said, you know, I would see her on the street corner or, you know, it wasn't their daughter. So basically he's holding these victims' families emotionally hostage, but they refuse to deal with him. I don't blame them. Pa- their parents are like grieving for them and he's toying with them. Yeah. And, you know, Sherman Tyne's offers were absolutely ridiculous. He, I mean, he what an asshole. Yeah. I mean, what makes him think that they're going to, I mean, I guess just preying on their weaknesses what? and their vulnerability. Why would he? I mean, he has no heart. He is a cold-blooded freaking psychopath. Yeah. It's just trying to get his way. He doesn't care about anybody else. Right. Right. When, like I said before, the state appellate court threw out Herzog's three murder convictions, much of the evidence against him, they pretty much had no chance of using. All of that was, they couldn't use. They had to throw out the videotaped evidence. And the DA, again, tried to strike a deal with Sherman Tyne. They offered him the chance to get off death row and he refused to do it. He says he didn't want to be seen as a snitch by the other prisoners. He also says he didn't want to go in general population, which if, you know, he'd probably be a pussy if he was there. Right. I hate saying that word. Well, Uh, he also in letters would brag about how cushy life was on death row. And I'm going to talk about this more a little bit later when I talk more about his letter writing phase. He knew the system. He knows how to play the system. But the DA is like, you know, without Shermantine's help and without the videotaped interrogation, maybe a jury's not going to convict. He's afraid that the jury would fall for, you know, the dumb old country boy act. So Herzog instead got the deal. Instead of Shermantine getting a deal, they gave one to Herzog. Which to me was not really a freaking deal. It's, it's, you know, and of course Herzog, that's a no brainer. All he had to do was plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter and a couple of other lower charges. And when he addressed the court after saying that that he did it, he said, I wish this never would have happened. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I did it. Like he doesn't seem super sorry in that. Right. No, he's I'm sorry. I got caught. Yeah, exactly. People are disgusting. He, he ends up serving a total of 14 years for this, but we'll get into that in a minute. The Vanderheidens, of course, are pissed off too. They had begrudgingly okayed the prosecutor's plea offer to Herzog because it was a slap in the face if he wouldn't have gotten any prison time. He said, the dad's told a reporter, only 14 years, it seems like it's very cheap for a person's life. At least he was off the streets for another eight years. We can live with it for the time being. He also said that the San Joaquin County District Attorney John Phillips should have taken the appellate decision to the state Supreme Court. He said when Herzog received a sentence, John Vanderheiden addressed the judge. I think now that Lauren has admitted to killing my daughter, he should now tell where the bodies are so we can lay them to rest. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, the judge didn't make him tell. I mean, but could he really make him tell? I mean, well, it's like you tell us where the bodies are. You don't get out. Yeah. Or you can't take this deal. I mean, you're right. You know, whatever. Uh-huh. 
I don't know about, you know, the legalities of all that, but. All right. So he's not out yet. Okay. So he's got the 14 years. And in the meantime, there's this reporter named Scott Smith. And I think he was a reporter for a local newspaper there called The Recorder. Okay. Anyway, this guy went on a fishing expedition, so to speak. And he just wrote a bunch of letters. Actually, he wrote a dozen, he said. And Mm -hmm. he sent them to death row inmates in California just to see if anybody would write back and guess who responded oh yeah of course our little our Our letter writer yes Wesley Shermantine and over the course of the next six years Shermantine wrote Smith over 25 letters oh wow Smith even visited him on death row three times and he was doing this you know of course because he was writing articles and Mm -hmm. printing them in the newspaper Hmm. Shermantine eventually revealed some of the burial spots to Smith, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a few slides. And he told the reporter that he had offered to testify against Lauren for money and a reduction in his sentence. He said that he was offered life without parole, actually said LWAP, mm-hmm. but he turned it down. He claimed his life was cushy on death row. He's able to put in headphones to drown out his environment and he can write letters. He doesn't need to share his space with another male and he would end up having a heart attack way before the state ever got around to killing him he's probably right about that oh he was because at that point california had stopped executing people for for an indetermined time so Mm -hmm. yeah let's see um he also blamed everything on lauren of course like every letter he's like yeah i didn't do any of this innocent man in here he smith said that sherman time was a classic storyteller he often delighted in tales of barroom brawls and youthful carousing a lot of the information we got about him being a badass mm-hmm. came from sherman time himself uh. smith said that sherman time also wrote about having regrets for ruining his marriage and family life he said i want to apologize to my ex sherry and my children for the life i led the drinking 17 years of meth use and how it made me mean oh oh, golly 17 years of meth use and he always proclaimed his innocence of every murder i said um as i said completely blaming herzog for everything in other letters he would share some bizarre ideas like once he suggested that for his punishment he should be sent off to war in iraq rather than wasting away in a prison cell and then he says well i would have to be taught and trained to kill or fight oh yeah he says i know people think i'm a bad person but i'm not i've been studying the bible and in later letters he began to ask for other deals to get out of prison such as giving up murder victims in exchange for release after 10 more years Hmm. i did I looked it up and the last person that was executed in California was in 2006. Right. They had commute. They like, they had stopped executing Mm -hmm. him right when he started writing these letters. He did come back and he would ask Smith, see if you can find me somebody, you know, that will pay me to give where these bodies are, or, you know, I can talk about more murder victims. Mm. He came back. He asked for $10,000. He wanted a new TV, needed a typewriter. You want to get kids money, you need candy bars. Wow. Well, and you can't even do that now. There's like a, there's like laws against that where you can't profit off of your crimes. Yeah. And it's going to come up in just a second. Oh, okay. That is. While, while these, this letter writing is going on, Herzog's serves his time he's up for release you don't just get out one day i mean they have to they have to figure out where you're gonna go and yeah i would think i got i don't know is there like a halfway house for prisoners i have no idea i think sometimes they they there are maybe Mm -hmm. and maybe depending on their crime too and they set them up sometimes with jobs but then i mean all i know is i watch tv and they're like here's 50 bucks and a bus ticket you know i mean i have yeah 
I don't know. Any anybody know? Anybody know? Let us know. Please share the information with us. Yes. He timed out of the prison system. Basically, he had credit for time served, which dated back to his 1999 arrest. And he also got time off for good behavior. For So I think he served like eight and one third of his sentence. Oh, wow. A lot of people tried their best to stop his release. Witnesses te- um, who testified against him came forward. They were afraid he could come back for retribution. Prosecutors feared that he would use his freedom to cover his tracks in several unsolved murders in which he was still suspect. Oh, wow. Families of his victims. Oh, go ahead. What? No, I didn't think about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they're still investigating. Uh, and I'm going to get more into that law enforcement aspect of it next week. Okay. So I'm kind of glo- I've been glossing over all of that because that is a whole episode in itself. Oh, wow. So I, I kind of like, I don't know if it's just in my mind, but I have it set up that like the, in, that Herzog is just kind of like the pansy in all of this. And that's exactly how his attorney wanted him to be, okay. wanted him to be portrayed. The okay. district attorney said they were both 50, 50 mm-hmm. based on my own research and maybe the bias that I'm reading in these articles. I, I tend to think that Sherman Ty was more cold-blooded. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Herzog was any less cold-blooded. I just think that he may not have acted on those instincts without Shermantine's influence. Gotcha. Like, I think Shermantine might have gone and done this stuff by himself, but I think Herzog maybe only did it when he was with Shermantine. Okay, gotcha. That's And that's based on just my, what I've read all over this, you know, Okay. God's green internet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. And ask me a question if you have it, because I... I've read so much and I don't know what I've put in and left out or what I'm not clear on. The families of his victims were also really upset that he was getting released. You know, he's going to get home, be able to go home to his wife and children. We don't even know where our daughters are. Right. And his attorney tried to calm everybody. You know, he's not scary. He tried to rebrand Herzog as a dumb country bumpkin who had been manipulated by a dominant and evil Shermantine, as we just discussed. Mm -hmm. The true murderous um, mastermind of the duo, D, I can't even talk, of the duo with Shermantine, according to Fox. That's Herzog's attorney. Fox said that Herzog was a non-participating bystander during all the murders, only participating after the fact by helping Shermantine clean up the messes afterwards. He said, this is not a dangerous person. It's not fair to call him a killer. He is guilty of having the world's worst friend. Oh. All right. But nobody believed that bullshit because no one wanted him. Poor Lauren. There was not a county in the state of California that wanted to be taxed with his parole at all. They did not want that scumbag in his county. So they have to get approval for that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, these people petitioned. They petitioned the governor. Okay. I'm going to get into that in a minute. So three counties had already turned him down, not allowing him to move there. There was an assembly woman who wrote a letter to governor, uh, the governator, (laughs) governor then, and she wrote a very long, influential letter to uh, regarding Herzog's parole, begging him to prevent Herzog from being paroled in a rural area where he could be allowed to roam freely and could easily conceal a crime as he was known for doing in the past. She presented the governor with a pretty clever alternative to parole him to state prison property, either confined strictly to prison property or moved to prison property within an urban area far removed from any remote area where he could easily repeat the pattern of committing murder and hiding his crimes. So what does that mean? So she's saying either A, we parole him to state prison grounds, like you're paroled, but you're um, still in prison. 
So you can or, live here in this corner of the, of the lot. Right. Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. Or she's saying, or we put him in the city somewhere where he's not at all in his element. Right. We'll send him okay. to the, you know, Chicago. <laughs> or, right. She then shared a precedent with the gov. Oh, okay. So she said, that housing parolees on prison property had already been done. That it had been done when convicted murderer Larry Singleton was confined to a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin Prison and was not allowed to leave. So he's not in a prison cell, he's in a trailer. He just can't leave the grounds. Huh. In 1978, so let me tell you about Singleton, he could probably be an episode. In 1978, Singleton picked up 15-year-old runaway Mary Vincent, who was hitching a ride outside San Francisco. He picked her up in his blue van, and then he tried to have sex with her, but he backed off. She's like, no, 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 no. Let me out. Let me out. He's like, no, you're safe. You're safe. And then he got drunk, and he beat her and tied her up and raped her twice. And then he took an axe and chopped off both of her arms and threw in a concrete culvert to die. But she didn't die. She lived. She was found wandering nude, holding up her arms so that the muscles and blood would not fall out. I must have watched a show on this or something. He got the max. 14 and a third years for the crime. And then with his sentence reductions for good behavior and work in prison, he was out in the whatever smallest amount of time, eight years. And there was an outroar, an uproar at that time. An angry crowd screamed, picketed, and eventually prevailed. Singleton ended up spending the rest of his parole in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin Prison. So who paid for this trailer, though? I'm guessing the county did. I mean, so... Or the, the state. Then why did they let him out? Maybe it was already out there. Maybe it was just a shed on the grounds. Huh. Well, what I will say is the governor agreed with her. And in September 2010... Herzog was sent to live in a dusty old trailer at the High Desert State Prison in Susanville, California. Oh, that sounds awful. It sounds dusty and it was not, it was like an old trailer that somebody had. I mean, just impoverished, dirty old trailer. It was not anything luxury by any means. Okay. And have no granite countertops in that thing? No, no, (laughs) it didn't. He was allowed to travel freely during the day, but he had to wear an ankle monitor at all times. He had a very strict curfew and a very strict do not contact list. In addition, Judge Suarez, that was a judge, ordered Herzog to pay $50,000 in restitution to the Vanderheim family to ensure that Mr. Herzog never profit from any story he may have to tell about the unfortunate events of November 13th and 14th. Now, how does making him pay $50,000 stop him from talking? It, yeah. Maybe he just wasn't allowed a profit. And that was, maybe I'm just misunderstanding what I read. Okay, so he is ordered to pay the family $50,000. Yes. And then he was ordered to pay $50,000 in restitution so that he couldn't profit. So maybe he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. That's what I, mean, I read. I'm me, sticking If I have to it. pay $50,000, that gives me more incentive to try incentive to, to sell it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine the anger and jealousy that Sherman Time must have had oh, towards his good old buddy? Being so pissed. Oh, I bet he was sick. He is pissed. He's like, and he wanted to make sure that every moment, as I said earlier, of Herzog's freedom would be pure hell 
in constant worry. Oh, he wants to trailer. Well, not only that, but the fact that he's getting all this spotlight attention and mm-hmm. you know, he's free and I'm not. And he, I'm in here because he blabbed his mouth. And yeah. on January 16th, 2012, Herzog had a strange visitor, famed bounty hunter Leonard Padilla. Now, I know that you told me you've never heard of Leonard Padilla, but I want you to look up his face right now. Okay. Look uh-huh. up his face because I know that you, like most Americans, we're fascinated by the Casey Anthony story. Oh, evil bitch. And you probably watched Nancy Grace. And if you've seen Nancy Grace, mm-hmm. you have seen Leonard Padilla. Try not to. He's a Sacramento bounty hunter. And I don't watch it either. But, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night when you're strolling and you're like, who's missing now? Mm-hmm. I will tell you that Nancy Grace was on the Casey Anthony. Oh, she was on her like way well. before anybody else picked that yeah. up. She wasn't wrong either. I watched this other TV. And the Jody Arias too. Yep. Yeah. I watched this TV show called Bull, which I know that we, I think we've talked about it a couple yeah. times. And yeah. the, their latest episode was kind of a Nancy. Tony Denosa. I know. I love him. Um, I don't know. This guy doesn't look familiar. Okay. Well, I'm sure other people out there know what I'm he talking about. He looks like a country about. bumpkin for sure. This is, well, this is somebody that someone would turn around and go, oh, country people. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So this guy, he's one of those guys who interjects himself into famous cases. Yeah. And he likes the spotlight too. He was involved with Casey Anthony, with OJ. Um, he's been a regular on Nancy Grace. So he visited Lauren Herzog. He paid him a visit. What did he say to him? I just asked this crazy question uh-huh. because after he left, Herzog was found dead. <gasps> no way. See, just more twists and turn in this case, isn't it? No way. Right. How so did this is the information put out by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Parolee Lauren Herzog, 46, was found dead at his trailer on state property outside the perimeter of High Desert State Prison on January 16th. 2012 at approximately 11 p.m. Herzog's parole agent had been alerted by the GPS system that Herzog's monitoring ankle bracelet was indicating a low battery. The agent notified the institution after he attempted to contact Herzog but was unable to make phone contact. HDSP staff responded to the residence and discovered Herzog unresponsive. The scene was secured and the Lassen County Sheriff's Office was called in to investigate the scene. The death is being investigated as a possible suicide. The exact cause of death is unknown pending a complete autopsy. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now that he hanged himself. Mm. He did leave a note saying that he loved his family, That's, but he never revealed where the bodies were. All right. So this devastated the family, you know, John Vanderheine. And of course, you know, they're going to go to these families every time either one of these guys makes, makes some sort of ripple in the news. I mean, I feel awful for them. You know, John Vanderheine's of course called and was like, well, what do you hear about this news? And he didn't believe it. Well, first he didn't believe it. He kept not believing it. And he ended up driving all the way to Susanville just to make sure that Herzog was really dead. Damn. He was also quite sad because, you know, it's like this coward took his own life. He's going to get a proper burial. Why couldn't he just tell us where my daughter is and these other girls are so they could be buried too? Yeah. What a dipshit. So his daughter was still lost. And, you know, there's only one other person who knows, Sherman Tyne. Now, an investigation ensued because why did he hang himself and why after the visit from Leonard Padilla? What was that all about? All right. Well, remember our reporter, Scott Smith? Yes. All right. So his interviews with death row inmate and serial killer Wesley Shermantine and the articles, the ensuing articles, drew the eye of Leonard Padilla. When Padilla learned that Shermantine was for sale, that he would reveal the locations of the bodies for cash, 
Padilla contacted Scott Smith right away. He's like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to get in the spotlight. It's like an ambulance. He says, yeah, he's like, you know what? Contact Sherman Tyne. I've got the money. I want to call this guy's bluff. So Smith then visited Sherman Tynes the second time that he visited him on death row. That was October 2nd, 2011 to explain Padilla's offer to Sherman Tyne. And this is what Smith wrote. With the enticement of cash, Sherman Tyne's letters started coming weekly and sometimes daily. He grew excited and his letters proved it. In one envelope, he stuffed three versions of the same letter. Sherman Time finally settled on a $33,000 deal with Padilla. I've given this a lot of thought this last week, he wrote. I've decided what I'm willing to disclose at this time if we come to an understanding of my terms. Smith said that Sherman Tyne asked him repeatedly if Padilla were true blue or jerk in my chain. And I wrote that I believe Padilla was sincere. Finally, a letter came to, dated December 5th saying he was ready to begin revealing the burial locations. He admitted to burying but not killing Chevy Wheeler in 1985. Here we go, he wrote. Before he wrote this next part, Padilla went to Herzog and said, look, Sherman Tyne is about to reveal to me where the bodies are in the well. And then Herzog just killed himself. And this is what Sherman Tyne wrote. Here we go, he wrote. And then he explained that Chevy was under an oak tree on his parents' former property Uh outside San Andreas. Chevy lay six feet on the north top side of that oak tree. And on the back of the letter, he had drawn a map of the property with an X marking the, marking the spot of her body. Oh my God. A little pirate map there. Yeah, right. It took a while to get anyone to react to this. Padilla tries taking a San Joaquin police um, sheriffs, which I'm going to get into later. Right. Eventually, they start sending searchers out. They're like, okay, well, we'll take this seriously because they're like, we're not taking this dumbass seriously. You know, he just wants attention and this is just a media circus. Right. But then other people are starting to get involved. So about two dozen searchers and specially trained dogs searched for the remains for four days. Eventually they were able to find Chevy Wheeler and Cindy Vanderheiden using the maps that he had drawn. Wow. Now, come to find out, the police had had a map of the locations for some time because Sherman Tyne had sent a few letters to his sister, Dolly, one of which in which he apologized for raping her when she was 12. And in others, he described Herzog murdering the young women and he included some hand-drawn maps. Oh, wow. And he called it to Lauren's Boneyard. Uh, he explained yeah. where the bodies were located with the maps, with the X marks the spot. She said that she immediately took the letters to the police, though it appears police did nothing about that. And that's more on that next week. Hmm. All right. So his letters revealed maps to other wells and mine shafts, which were graves. One of those was a well in Linden where they grew up. The, the search took days. I mean, they didn't find anything immediately and they had to dig down. It's, some of these are like 45 deep, feet deep and they're searching, they're pulling out dirt. There were over a hundred piles of dirt that they had to sift through, excavating in batches and combing through for evidence. On the fourth day, they found 1,000 bone fragments. They found bones in other wells. They found clothing, shoes, jewelry, and other personal effects. And again, the bone fragments were found more than 45 feet deep in the ground. Oh my word. So 1,000 bone fragments, those are just bits and pieces of bones is what I'm guessing. Jeez. Of course, they send all that off for DNA analysis. Now, when Sherman Time found out that his hand-drawn maps helped the authorities in their discovery, he wrote Smith and he's like, yeah, I'm so proud. He said that he was proud that his honest information paid oh, off. Please. And then later on in the letter, he said, I have everyone's attention now. I've given three sites of the five and I've been correct on all. 
That's because you killed them and buried them there. Right? Yes. Dickhead. DNA samples eventually came back indicating that the bone fragments were the remains of four victims. Two of them were identified as Kimberly, Billy, and Joanne Hobson. They were the teenage girls. Um, Kimberly, Billy went missing in 1984, and Joanne Hobson went missing in 1985. The other two sets remained unidentified, one of which was a fetus. Oh my god so, yes yeah. so those pregnant. were in the one they were in the one mine shaft together oh my um, god so, uh, yeah i mean just the bones of a fetus but to have killed a pregnant person mm. the maps also led authorities to the skeletal remains of chevy wheeler and cindy vanderheiden and they were in different areas Vanderheiden's remains were found about a quarter of a mile away from the property once owned by his family and then a second search on other property that formerly belonged to sherman tyne and his family led to the second set of partial human remains, along with articles of clothing. And this was Chevy. Her body was wrapped in a blanket. Reporters interviewed her mom and dad. Her dad, Raymond Wheeler, told a reporter the clothes they found matched the exact description of what she was wearing that day that my wife dropped her off at school. My wife still remembers exactly what she had on the last time we saw her. Furthermore, he told the reporters, police said they had a diagram from the guy that killed my daughter and they went out and did some digging. I just can't believe that devil decided to speak out over 25 years later or 20 years later sorry cannot imagine i mean i wouldn't yeah you want your child back but god i just can't imagine that like it, the being you want your child back but when those bones are found then all hope of that person walking through the door is gone yeah yeah i just <sighs> right yeah i mean they had already known that she was dead because he they were convicted for it yeah and her side her said we did it the reporter said that sherman Tyne continued to write to him including one letter saying he wanted to apologize to the Vanderheiden and wheeler families for not revealing the burial places for so long no fuck off with this family according to sherman Tyne, he said there are two additional wells containing the the remains of between 20 and 30 victims but he's like i'm not telling anything else until padilla pays up because padilla did not pay him he was supposed to do it for thirty three thousand dollars, and padilla's like yeah i'll do it i'll do it well see and shame on him for because now i mean it's kind of you know you tricked him and now he's pissed off and he's not going to tell you anything else he's not going to you know, you either have well, to pay them now or never get any more answers. And this is not over. So it's over. All right. Ay, ay, ay. All right. So he's like, I'm not telling anymore. He says, I've killed no one, nor will I ever say I did, but I did bury too. That's all I did. The meth made me mean, not crazy. So he's like, I know where 20, 30 more people are, but I didn't kill them. Bullshit. Paula Wheeler, who was Chevy's mom, told reporters that um, that she and her husband had moved to Tennessee. Remember that uh, Chevy had a little sister named Marnie mm-hmm. and Marnie ended up, she ended up going, she started, she became a drug addict. You know, right. she, uh, her mom, Paula Wheeler told reporters once that she lost two daughters that day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she and her husband and Marnie's daughter ended up moving to Tennessee and they were in Tennessee when their local sheriff arrived and said, can you come, can you come to headquarters? We have some pictures from San Joaquin County that we would like you to look at. Mm. So she goes down to the local sheriff's office and takes a look at the photos that were mailed. And she sees these are the pictures of things that were retrieved from that Linden well. Wheeler instantly recognized the jacket and the contents of the purse. There was a wallet, driver's license, and compact powder that had her daughter's name on it. In another photo, she said that she saw a turquoise ring, which she didn't recognize as belonging to her daughter. She did say that she was very relieved and at peace when she finally was able to bring her daughter home. And she had Chevy, they had a little ceremony in 
in California and had her cremated and then brought her home, sits on her mantle. The Vanderheidens, John and Terry Vanderheiden, after nearly 14 years of aching to bring home the remains of their murdered daughter, Cindy, were at long last able to give her a proper burial. She was actually buried in the Glenview Cemetery near her parents' home, Mm -hmm. which is also the cemetery where she met her killers the night she died. Oh, God. I was like, I'm like, I wonder if it's the same cemetery. So I looked it up. It was. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't know if I'd want that. I guess there's just not another one that's someplace close that her parents can go to. Yeah, yeah. When she was finally laid to rest, a minister presiding over the funeral said it's been a long, long journey. We finally reached that final destination. And with that sentiment, I'm going to stop for the week. Tune in next week because this show is not over. Wow. This Sherman Time is a show that keeps on going. God. I'm not even going to look up see if he's still like alive yet i'll wait for you to tell me but i mean think about some of the things some things to think about okay so he was basically convicted on herzog's testimony yeah they didn't use the videotape of him so much as he did i believe testify which is why they didn't throw out the case on sherman time there are other things that we're going to talk about so he's trying to get out yeah well that's the last freaking person who needs to be out of prison i'll leave well thank you thank you so much for that continuation i guess you would say (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me. me.